Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the pod of the House Divided podcast. Um, I'm not excited for this one. I'm Brendan, and I am the Michigan fan here. Uh, Jeremy is probably more excited. How are you doing, Jeremy? I'm doing really well. Uh, sports are sports are back, Brendan. After a, after a little bit of a fall uh, fall swoon, sports are back. Yes, they are. Unfortunately for me, uh, I don't have. I think I'm. I've kept track of all of my teams that I follow, and I think uh, I'm two and seven uh, in the new year. So it's not great, but you know we keep the fighting. Worst part about that is one of those wins you probably weren't even happy with the, the Red Wings. Oh man, they need them to win. Dude, they're so far back of uh, second to worst. It doesn't even matter. They could go on a heater and they still wouldn't catch up. Uh, so I, I couldn't care less. I was just happy to see Philip Sedina score a game winner against Montreal. Um, That's true. But we are on a time constraint today, so we're going to try and keep this as much on topic as we can. Start with a few pieces of news, all Michigan-related somehow. No, Not much Michigan State news. Um, uh, on the football side of things, Donovan Peoples-Jones and Cesar Ruiz have announced they are foregoing their senior seasons and going to the NFL draft. So best of luck to them. I wasn't really, you know, it's obviously not my place. I was a little bit surprised about the Donovan Peoples-Jones one, considering he was pretty quiet against Alabama after a pretty quiet junior season compared to expectations. Um, but, you know, he's de definitely got the physical ability to go to the NFL. So I'm not that surprised. And then the big positive news for Michigan is that Nico Collins has announced he is going to return for his senior season, which I was also surprised about because speaking of physical tools, he feels like the most NFL-ready wide receiver out of the bunch. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's it for that. Uh, pretty happy that we have one of the big three coming back to support whoever is the new quarterback next year. Yeah, new quarterback playing behind a uh, pretty much revamped offensive line now that Cesar Ruiz is on the mix, what, four out of five? Yes, sir. Uh, returning, you know, what could be returning off the line gone. So, yeah, it's going to be a new offensive line. I have to wonder if that that combined with the quarterback uh, situation might have played into Don Peebles-Jones' decision, but whatever he used for his decision, obviously it was not enough to sway Nico Collins, which I think – out of the three maybe is the most important get, although Cesar Ruiz would have been amazing to come back. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, Cesar Ruiz would have been great, uh, but honestly, Michigan's offensive line depth is the best it's been since Lloyd Carr was here, so I'm not too worried about that, uh, and I think Nico coming back was very, very important because Ronnie Bell can kind of replace the DPJ-type receptions. He's kind of a similar physical player, at least, and then you know, but nobody was going to come in and replace what Nico was able to do. So that's a big get. Um, our next piece of news, I only want to touch on this for a minute, and we're not going to get into the weeds. Maybe next week when Morris come out. But uh, I figured we'd touch on the John Beeline situation. Reports that uh, during a film session, he said the Cavaliers were playing like a bunch of thugs, and he meant to say slugs, according to him. Uh, I've noticed most of the Internet is – uh, kind of clowning on him as they should be but a lot of Michigan people like reporters people who don't really have bias but just spent a lot of time with him say it's not surprising because he does stutter a lot and talk fast a lot 
but still, it's not a good look at all. Um, and I'm going to refrain from giving too much of an opinion until more information comes out. Not a great look, but I think also it's been a pretty trying year in Cleveland. I mean, we also had the public kind of uh, kind of tiff with, uh, I believe it was Tristan Thompson the other week outside of a huddle. I think we can't say that we were surprised that maybe his college stick is not making it to the NBA, and he's not loaded with a roster of guys who are probably huge John Beeline fans right now, I know. So uh, I would say I, I would be surprised that John Beeline would say something on purpose like that. Um, so I would kind of take the side of John Beeline, but like you said, it's hard to know until you get more information. Um, but it kind of feels like this has been bubbling up and this is just another thing that the players can have against him. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how long he sticks around in Cleveland because it's either going to be big changeover of that roster or get rid of one coach. So, yeah, uh, my guess is watch. my guess is he doesn't make it to February, which sucks. But uh, as long as he doesn't come back to the Big Ten, um, and just the last piece of news, Michigan related, is some recruiting news on the basketball side of things. Terrence Williams, who is a small forward slash power forward. Um, was previously committed to Georgetown. He's about ranked 80 in the class. Um, he decommitted from there and promptly committed to Michigan. So that's a pretty big get uh, in terms of long-term guys. And then in terms of one-and-done guys, Joshua Christopher, the number two shooting guard in the entire class, number 11 overall player. Uh, we have two crystal, well, one crystal ball for him to Michigan from the director of scouting at 247. And then the UCLA insiders, which a lot of people thought he'd be going to UCLA, uh, said it's almost certain he's coming to Michigan. So I'm trying not to just view him as part of the class yet, but that would be a huge get for Michigan. Um, just unbelievably dynamic player. I didn't let myself watch the highlights until this news happened yesterday, and I kind of still wish I didn't watch the highlights. So... That's something to monitor on the Michigan basketball side of things. Well, judging by how Michigan coaches in their first year go, I expect that Jawan Howard will sign 14 recruits and six will transfer. Um, but, hey, he's going to be breaking uh, breaking the mold as far as recruiting goes, but he is certainly setting it on fire. Uh, and most importantly for Terrence Williams, you now have the son of Jimmy Wines' manager, and that is fantastic. So that's uh, – <laughs> Regardless of what he puts up on the court, the fact that you now are in some way related to the artist Genuine at the University of Michigan just makes my day. Uh, that'll be big for all Parks and Rec fans out there. Um, but I do want to touch on this before we hop on to Michigan-Alabama. Um, I've seen a couple of Michigan State people out there saying there's no way Michigan isn't throwing bags around. Uh, I agree, and I love it. So don't come at me with that bullshit. I couldn't care less. Yeah, and uh, just, I mean, I'll just squeeze this news in. It is quite quite small, but I know we'll probably get people that ask about it. Uh, just some MSU hockey stuff. Um, David Gucciardi, who I just have to make fun of the trade in general. Uh, he's an MSU commit. He was involved in an OHL trade today, Brendan. Yeah, I saw but that. Nine, involved nine, nine draft picks. Draft picks. <laughs> so, oh uh, in case you are wondering, no, I will – 
player that I am very much not concerned that David Gucciardi is going to go to the OHL. If he's a part of a trade with nine draft picks, that basically tells you that uh, the uh, Oshawa Generals who owned his rights thought that he there was no chance of him reporting. Niagara just figured they'd take a shot at it. Uh, but the main thing that Niagara was getting out of his deal is nine draft picks which run all the way to 2024. So there's an 11-year-old who uh, uh, is going to be selected based off of a trade that happened today. So, um, yeah, yeah, those are – OHL trades can be really fun. They always involve sometimes, especially when you have, like, a big market like Oshawa trading with Niagara, you can have some deals that just involve an obscene amount of draft picks, especially if a team is looking to make a Memorial Cup run which uh, Oshawa is definitely looking to make this year. So I uh, just wanted to throw that in. David Gucciardi, I would still expect him to come to MSU. He's playing in the USHL this year. Uh, I, I would not be concerned uh, about that trade. Yes. Okay. Now, before we hop on to Michigan basketball sad things, we'll do some Michigan football sad things. Um, this will be quick, considering – it was mostly what we expected, except with some fun false hope in the first half for Michigan fans. Uh, so, obviously, the game starts out, and big big kick return for Giles Jackson, followed by a three and out, followed by Alabama hitting a t- 85-yard touchdown in their first play, and it felt like the route was on. However, Michigan actually carried most of the first half, despite only walking away with a 16-14 lead. Then in the second half, Alabama remembered they were Alabama and pretty much dominated. Uh, Michigan still was in the game until that final drive that just shoved their nose in it by just handing it off to Najee Harris over and over and over and over again. Uh, But they were in it until that drive, but, yeah, just didn't have the talent. Um, So not to talk much about the game, but I'll just go through the good and the bad for Michigan. The good is Josh Gaddis. His game plan in the first half was awesome, very similar to the Ohio State game. And if he has a defense that could keep pace with what he was doing, or if they could finish drives, um, Michigan is in a much better situation. And I am very, very – after the first half of the year where certain parts of Michigan Twitter were calling Josh Gaddis a scam artist, I'm glad those people have proceeded to shut the hell up. Um, I am very comfortable. No, they they didn't shut the hell up. Let's be honest. They just moved it all to Shea Patterson can't throw it more than seven yards. But they did certainly get off of the Josh Gaddis sucks train, which is appropriate because the guy had a really good season. Um, Second uh, half. I think that second, he, maybe, he, had a really, he had a really good second half of the season. The first half, true. Like but you, you can't make say, that army game go away, man. Like they were true. doing absolutely. But I always say that when it, when we're not in the coaches' room and I see somebody do as good as he did in the second half, uh, I kind of wonder: did he get to do everything he wanted in the first half of the season, or did Jim finally wake up to the fact that he made a hire? Um, but we'll never know that. No, uh, you are right. It, it took a while for him to get it going, but once he got the lay of the land and and got some kinks figured out, he uh, he got into a pretty good stride. Yes. Um, the other positive was this was the best Charbonnet look, had looked all year. Unfortunately, they didn't give him much run in the second half, but I think that was more of the fact that they had to pretty much play behind from behind the whole second half. Um, but Charbonnet was excellent. 
uh, as well as Haskins. So the running back room next year looks really, really, really nice. The bad, Shea Patterson. Um, it, you don't want to put it all on him because we all know that, you know, this game isn't just on him. But when Alabama's backup named Mac Jones is hitting deep balls so easily and Shea Patterson is throwing every deep ball on a line where basically the receiver doesn't have a shot, it's a big difference. And sometimes you just need your senior quarterback to play like a senior quarterback, and he didn't. Um, Ace Anbender of the M of MGO blog has mentioned it a few times, but that uh, quote from Gaddis in August about Patterson spending too much time golfing this summer, it was followed by buddies lighting it up in practice, but uh, that's, a, that's a rough quote to look back on in retrospect uh, after the year he had. But – Whatever. I still, he had, you know, the second most all-time single season uh, yards. So still had a productive year at Michigan. Just wasn't the guy we hoped he'd be when he came in, which seems like a familiar sentence to say as a Michigan football fan. I wrote Don Brown in the notes as another bad thing, but honestly, he didn't do too horrible. This was an Alabama offense that was lighting the world on fire. But you could put some of their first half struggles uh, on Steve Sarkeesian because man, it wasn't great. Uh, some of the, they, they probably could have pounded Najee Harris up the middle all game and won by 30 or 40 because Michigan was out both of their starting defensive tackles and he chose not to. So uh, that's all I have for this game. Did, did you get all the petty enjoyment out of it that you hoped you would? Uh, so it was interesting. I, I kind of felt bad almost for Michigan in that first half because I knew from watching it, what I was thinking is if Michigan goes on to win this game, <clears throat> Michigan fans will rightly want to talk about this. Uh, but everyone else who is watching this will look at it and go, uh, clearly Alabama just did not care to be there because their defense was pretty poor. Um, at least that's what you would expect. Uh, again, yeah, we're not their all defense hasn't bad. been good all year though. Like, like, exactly. So, the, but that would have been the narrative, right? That it would try and sap the Michigan fan enjoyment it, out of it. Yes, to say that, well, Alabama didn't care to be there. So it's kind of one of those awful things. And then when it flips on you in the second half, all the fans who would have thrown that narrative at you can now just enjoy that your team got molly wonked the whole second half. Uh, but I think there was more positive for Michigan than negative. Um, you know, so even over the whole game, like I know, yeah, Najee Harris, destroyed them in the second half but yeah he probably could have been doing that all game but you can't take back what that first half was Michigan was moving the ball at will on despite it being a down Alabama defense it's still probably a pretty good defense at least with some good athletes um so I think you you come out of it with the main thing being another summer of Josh Gaddis working with these guys and getting comfortable the only thing that's concerning is do we know that you have a better quarterback than Shea Patterson? I think we think that, but do we know it? That's going to be the concern See, for Michigan. We, we think it, but we don't know for sure. Both quarterbacks, we'll right. get into this deep into the offseason with lots of stuff, but just for a quick minute, like Dylan McCaffrey, the upside is he's got wheels, and I think Josh Gaddis would have a lot of fun uh, using his feet if he has a pretty good – if he can develop a pretty good deep ball. Um, and at that point, his ceiling is above Shea's. 
Joe Milton obviously has the Josh Allen type arm cannon. Uh, if we can just hone it, then his ceiling is incredibly high. You have a couple of really high ceiling guys in the quarterback room. Uh, the question is how low is the floor compared to what we've been dealing with the last two years with Shea and the fact that sure Washington does lose their coach and their quarterback, but you do start on the road on the West coast um, against a decent PAC 12 program. Um, so we'll see, and we'll get into all of that. Uh, I think it is time to get into some shooty hoops. Uh, we'll probably spend about 25, 30 minutes on this. Um, Michigan and Michigan State played a game on Sunday. I didn't enjoy it. Everybody at Michigan State did. Before we get into it, I just, as a big narrative guy, like I'm not that big of a narrative guy, but I like a good one when I see one. One that Michigan State Twitter isn't talking about that y'all absolutely should be. People like to talk about turning points in this rivalry, and since it's been so streaky both ways, there have been lots of turning points. Um, obviously, the most famous one is probably the Zach Novak shot, or no, the Stu Douglas shot in 2011 on the road at the Breslin Center that really turned the whole Michigan program around. Last year, Michigan State was down almost 10 points at Chrysler Center, and which would have been Michigan's fourth straight win over Michigan State. And Cassius Winston went into a timeout saying, we're going to go take this lead, and we're not giving it back. And at the time, and they went and did that, and at the time it just felt like that's how it was going to be for that game. He did that for this rivalry. That was a turning point, is him saying that in a timeout, because Michigan State just won their fourth straight game against Michigan in a game where Cassius Winston played the best game of his career, and he has owned this rivalry since he spoke those words. And I don't know how y'all aren't just drooling over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, to be honest, this game felt almost like a different part of this four-game run, though, because if you think back to last year, First of all, the weird part was that we had to wait all season and then we played three times in, what, three weeks or three or four weeks. So that was kind of weird last year. But every game last year, it was that Michigan hunt around or was in the lead for 30 minutes and then MSU just wore them down for the last 10. This game wouldn't fit that narrative because this thing was never close. I know that there were points where Michigan got as low as two to four points. And then even when Michigan was only down eight or nine, it felt like MSU was letting them hang around. And, you know, Michigan's a good enough team that they can make you pay if you let them hang around. But once the game's over and you let the emotions go away, uh, Michigan never led and it never felt like they were going to win. It felt like they could maybe put a scare into MSU, but they were never going to win that game. And that is different from the narrative of the three games last year. Um, but I do appreciate, I think you're right. It, it's something that's not being talked about enough. Um, and I think the issue is that when you have three games against three, uh, similar opponent or the same opponent rather in four weeks, you don't get the chance to really let it, let it simmer and let it become a thing that you take the big picture view of. But, uh, you know, who knows how the game goes next month when we play back in Chrysler. But if, if they can get another win in Chrysler and it becomes two full, you know, at least regular seasons of beating Michigan, it very well should be looked back at as uh, as that. But I would always remember more instead, uh, Matt McQuaid broke ankles. So that would be where I say the game turned. But I, I appreciate that you are probably much more right on the actual narrative there. 
Yeah, I mean, just the the whole like story of it, like Cassius Winston got shoved into a locker his sophomore year by Xavier Simpson offensively, like in those two matchups or yeah, two matchups. He did not do anything because Xavier was locking him down. And then just to turn around like this and be the MVP for four straight games. I mean, and and you're right. The game was never close. And 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 it's his team now. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that's not talked about enough is when, when Cassius had struggled, uh, in his previous matches with Michigan outside of, I mean, of course, freshman year, you're going to struggle as a freshman. But in the sophomore year, I think he really struggled. But at the same time, that's a Miles Bridges team. That's, you know, Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson. That's those guys. Uh, but I think, yeah, as an MSU fan, we should focus on the narrative of since it's been his team and he's the guy, he's undefeated. And not only undefeated, he's upped his game every single time and, and continues to just go uphill. So, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a really the, great point. The only game I would say wasn't his is uh, probably the Big Ten championship game last year I would give to Matt McQuaid. Like, but outside of that, it, it's been all him. And, you know, it, you were right in saying that this game, Michigan really never had a real shot, it felt like. Um, obviously, when I'm watching it, the optimist in me says we're one run away while that lead is at like eight to nine points. But in retrospect, yeah, Michigan was never really in that. But I think Cassius Winston is putting up the same performance regardless of Isaiah Livers is there. And Isaiah Livers makes a difference. Um, And I I think Michigan State wins the game whether he plays or not, but I do not think it's a blowout if Isaiah Livers is playing that game. Um, But nevertheless, just unbelievable for Michigan State as far as the game goes. They were in control the whole way. Cassius puts up 32 points and I think eight assists, eight or nine. Um, and every time Michigan went down the court and Xavier made an awesome layup or they got a big possession or hit a three, they they were right back. And it seemed like every time Cassius was either hitting an easy mid-range or putting up a layup. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that was the game. Michigan tried a lot of different stuff on defense. None of it worked. It was a rough one for Michigan, but they have a chance to rebound uh, tonight. But, yeah, uh, I think it's probably time to get into what this means and what this means going forward for both teams. We can start with Michigan State. Actually, no, I have one more thing to talk about about the game. Every time there was a bad call, you made a joke on Twitter about how we thought it was all a conspiracy or whatever. (laughs) I just want to say, the refereeing was not good, and it did favor Michigan State at least a little bit. And I don't think it's some conspiracy bullshit. I think it's because Tom Izzo is really goddamn good at working the referees. And I don't think this is disputable. Uh, see, so I guess I'm one of the negative ones in that I, I actually don't really care for Tom Izzo's stick, and I sometimes worry that I, – I think that in this rivalry or maybe in conference games at home, I think you're probably right. Um, where it doesn't travel well is when we do out-of-conference games or in the NCAA tournament. I don't think his stick works. Oh, no, you're I right. I think, though. So. I'm exclusively I think saying this right is at, at the Breslin Center. I, like, <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I think, I think it definitely does. And it was weird. I think, I think you're right. I mean, the, the, it was a fun joke to just keep putting up, like, the team fouls and stuff like that. But it's also just uh, – 
to me, I think it showed a little bit of a big difference too um, in the styles of Juwan Howard versus John Beeline. Because if you think, I mean, last year, uh, I remember, I forget what game it was against MSU, but there was a whole discussion that Michigan had very limited times ever even let a team get to the bonus and a half because they just followed so little. Uh, and so that was where it was kind of funny was I, I see a Michigan fan say that it's always like this in Breslin, but, like, but your team was always a non-following team under B-line as well. So, uh, so I think it was kind of a stylistic difference too of showing where they're at under Juwan Howard, like they're going to fight for offensive boards more. Uh, you know, maybe they don't attack the basket the same way. Um, you know, and they just really struggled on defense. Uh, there were, of course, some bad calls, I think, but I think it also showed a stylistic defense of MSU getting into the lane and attacking the basket, and Michigan was more settling for outside jump shots. And that was a part of not the foul disparity, but specifically, as you brought up, the free throw disparity uh, was that for sure. Um, and and outside of, I think, some really iffy uh, offensive calls that went against Michigan, I'd say it was probably bad in both directions, but I will agree with you that uh, it wasn't great. But but we also know that at this point in NCAA basketball, we're never going to have a well-officiated game. It's just no, not going to happen. You're, you're right for sure. And with a little bit of uh, time to let the emotions of it simmer down, I would agree with you mostly um, that it's – it was just poorly officiated both ways. I, I do agree with that. There were just a couple of certain calls, mostly on Teske. I thought – Yeah, he had a really tough giving... game. I think he got a bad – he had a bad – like he. I felt mis- unfortunate for him because it it took him out of a game where he probably should have played more because uh, there were some pretty soft calls against Teske. Yeah, and it, so there was that, and then, like, when Austin Davis – like, the the thing that led to the Juwan Howard technical, which he absolutely earned by basically stopping an MSU fast break, um, which, I, right. which I loved, by the way. Like, I know – Oh, I loved it too. Yeah, but um, – I loved that. Uh, the whole thing with, like, like – like, Austin Davis certainly got fouled on that end, and it just felt – it was a combination of just having – Michigan State playing out of their mind and in a game like that you need the calls to go your way a little bit and you need some bounces and none of that was happening so definitely I was feeling more frustrated uh, at the time than I am now with the officiating because in the end it didn't it didn't matter at all so let's move on I will say Franz Wagner was uh, was earning his fouls man yes he He, was he was struggling on defense he certainly is uh his uh, Mo's brother um <laughs> they uh they certainly like to play a physical brand of basketball and um which i defensively at least and it was right he was struggling on defense but like the dude's a good defender i've been watching him all year and in germany he had a reputation like defending men he was good but he he struggled and uh michigan just has to figure out I've, a way to battle against the transition like they did one yeah. on the line. I think it's the speed is what he's struggling with. He he seemed like that you know, most of the fouls he was picking up was just guys dribbling past him and so when he tries to get physical it you know, that's where he's reaching in or getting the fouls. But I would agree with you. For me it was it was a comforting as an MSU fan that that's a way to maybe go at him because he was kind of a player that I thought of as uh as if there's gonna be an upset, it's gonna be that Franz Wagner is gonna have a great day. 
And when you put him on the bench with fouls, that's a good way to avoid him getting hot on shooting. So, Yeah, so, so what does this mean for Michigan State? Obviously, you're playing a Michigan team who's not in the best run of form. They're three and four in their last seven um, and has yet to have a true road victory under Juwan Howard. But it's the way they played, uh, the way they beat Michigan, the way they played against Illinois. Uh, they're finally looking like the con- the national contender we thought they were going to look like at the beginning of the year. Um, and turns out uh, time helps when recovering from, A, a tragedy, and, B, you know, it's a new season under Tom Izzo. This isn't exactly a new thing. Uh, so uh, they look great. The offense, I believe, is number one on Ken Palm, number two on Torvik. So, you know, that's good. <laughs> Uh, and you can see it just by watching them play. Um, so what, what are your thoughts, your perspective uh, going into the rest of the Big Ten play after – I kind of see it as mile marker one was the first Michigan-Michigan State game. Um, yeah. How do we feel? No, I feel really good. And, and it's not in any way a rivalry throwing shade. To be honest, the game that probably got me more excited if you take the rivalry out of it was that win over Illinois only because they have such a strong presence inside. And it was, you know, and a team that we had lost to last year, um, they just felt like a worse matchup, even though both games were at home. It felt like, okay, so we beat Michigan last year. I think I know Cassius matches up decently well to pretty good against Xavier. Um, I thought we could win inside, but I thought that, you know, as we found out later, a sick Xavier Tillman and a really skinny uh, Marcus Bingham, I really thought Kofi Coburn was going to have his way with us. And I thought that Illinois game was going to be pretty scary. Um, and I think coming off of Thursday night is like, you know, if, if we can play like that, I don't know if the Michigan game can scare me unless we, we have to lose. Even if we win close, I'll feel really good about this team still. So, uh, the biggest game for me was honestly the Illinois game, um, especially with Michigan having Isaiah Livers out. Uh, it's hard to take everything out of that game. Uh, but, yeah, it's like you said, practice, uh, having time to practice, because not only do you have uh, the situation where maybe days were being given off early to deal with the Zachary Winston situation and, and things that happened, you just had a crazy schedule. You go from Maui to coming home and then, uh, you know, after the Champions Classic, and then you have the Duke home game, but you just have like finals week going on, and then you finally get to this break where you have some easier games, no school going on. I know they did some two a days over winter break, just more time in the gym, and it showed because they look much more comfortable and less disjointed than they did early in the season. Uh, it looks like Izzo's getting some of his rotational and kind of role player things figured out. Uh, guys are. You know, it, it shows in the game, right? Marcus Bingham has a great game against Illinois, uh, finds his role. They come back Sunday. He gets, you know, manhandled by John Teske a little bit and, and struggles with Brandon Johns. He finds the bench, but then they find Thomas Kiddier to play his role um, in combination with uh, with Tillman on the floor. So it seems like the role stuff is getting figured out and the rotation is getting figured out, and that is pretty exciting from an MSU perspective when you look at the big picture uh, of what's ahead. And, yeah, number two offense on Torvik and number one on Ken Palm. And I saw a stat. I was trying to look it up. But, yeah, I think uh, if you look at just their Big Ten games, they're up to 38% shooting on threes. 
which was like a huge concern in the out of conference. But if they, I don't think they're going to stay up at 38, but if they stay anywhere closer to that number than they're out of conference, it's going to be, uh, it could turn into a runaway uh, Big Ten conference. I'm already ready to say it's going to be a runaway Big Ten conference, and I know it's early, and this is the first mile marker we're talking about. I'm really interested to have this yep. conversation again in a month uh, after they play again. But you just look at the – they're the only team who's went out. They have had a favorable schedule, I will say, in the Big For Ten sure. so far. The December games they got were probably the easiest anybody in the Big Ten got. and that So your only road game sped Northwestern, and then you've had to play – that Illinois win at at home is huge. I agree with you. Uh, and then also beating Michigan at home is big despite the injury situation. Um, but just the way I look at it, it seems like Michigan State just feels a cut above everybody else. And then 2 through 11 or 12 <laughs> feels like one big jumbled mess. Um, Ohio State is 1 and 3, 12th in the conference. And Michigan loses top five team last week, Brendan. <laughs> I know. I this this Big Ten season is going to be awesome. Uh, lucky yeah. for you, it seems like you're going to be mostly out of the chaos. I am not a fan of going in being one of these chaos teams. But every night you turn on a Big Ten basketball game, it could go pretty much any way unless Northwestern's involved. Uh, like seriously, you know, it almost feels like because uh, yeah, now Nebraska, you'll know who. <laughs> I know what's funny is it almost feels like I mean as people kind of know from the show we're both uh we're also into the Premier League and if you don't like soccer you probably hate all of our our times that we bring it up but you know what it feels like Brendan it feels kind of like a Premier League season where maybe MSU is in that Liverpool slash Man City thing where they're going to be up front so the season will feel kind of boring it from a title race perspective but I the agree. race to be that two to four, like, quote, Champions League spots, as we were looking at the Premier League, are going to be so entertaining. And, oh. and that, that's going to be the, the real race of the Big Ten is who can get into that automatic buy spot for the first round of the Big Ten tournament or will we playing for NCAA tournament seating because they're going to, that's going to be entertaining. And then come into the tournament time, some team is going to get stuck with like an eight-seed Big Ten team that could oh, just whip up on them because they've been murdered all year in conference, but they are better than the top of whatever conference that team is coming from of the Big 12. So oh, you know what I'm it, waiting for? It's going to be interesting. Is the 10 or 11-seed Big Ten team who has to get yeah. – like, I do not want to be that six or seven who has to play a Big Ten team in the first round because this conference is murderer's row. Um you made whoever gets Rutgers in the first round, Brendan. <laughs> yeah, seriously, they just beat Penn State. Move the game which, to the rack, which is now a good game. Like, yeah, this this conference is wild. Um, something important before we get to the upcoming games this week for MSU that you threw in the notes that I think is amazing um, is that Izzo in a press conference said he thinks five losses, fifteen and five, wins the league. Torvik agrees and projects MSU to win this conference by three games, and I agree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I still can see five losses. That really makes sense to me. Like, I could see this team – I don't know if Purdue would score enough points. But like, you know, Purdue has such a good defense. Do they struggle and lose an ugly game to Purdue? But, man, at Mackey, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's – Yeah, do they lose the return game to whether it's Rutgers, Michigan, uh at Wisconsin is always hard. Do they have the return game with Illinois? They're going to get some losses in here. 
But like we talked, the rest of the league is going to beat each other so much that they could still be a, a five-loss team and be projected to win the conference by three is insane and just tells you how crazy much parity there is in the middle of the conference. I mean, I it said- has Michigan as a 10-10 and 10 Big Ten team. But there's still a 90% chance to make the NCAA tournament. Like, they're going to make the tournament with that record, and they're going to be a really damn good team making the tournament. So, uh, yeah. It's I think insane. the goal for Michigan um, is definitely 12-2 and two in the league. Uh, you win all your home games, and you steal two to three away games. And that feels like such a low number. But, like, seriously, I genuinely yeah, – think you're going to end up in a two through four seed getting that double by and you're probably going to be a five or six in the NCAA tournament um, because this league is crazy good. Uh, before we get into yeah. more Michigan outlook stuff, uh, let's just cover tonight. Michigan State hosts Minnesota in another goddamn home game. Jesus Christ. And then they finally make a road trip next uh, on Sunday going to Mackey Arena against a Purdue yeah. team who has the offensive ability of uh, probably a Mac team, and but still that game they, seems a little bit scary just because of where it's being played. Cassius Winston in their last game. Yeah, and who are they playing? Points. Oh my God, was that Illinois? Yeah, Illinois. Illinois is not even that good defensively. Like they're good. They're no, solid. They're middle, middle. But like, man, Purdue. Illinois is rated a worse defense than Michigan. Just not that Michigan's terrible on defense, but like let's talk about like MSU and how they looked against Michigan. Michigan's a few spots ahead of Illinois on defense, and Purdue put up 37 points. Yeah, in a full game, outscoring Cassius Winston by five. Yeah, so that it's going to be important, but you can never never be too confident going into a road game in the Big Ten unless you're playing Northwestern. Uh, I had a tweet last night that said there's only two teams in the Big Ten I wouldn't be that afraid of going on the road against, and it's Indiana and Northwestern. Um, And Purdue, it doesn't seem like they have that good of a team. I'm not even sure they're going to make the tournament this year. But this just feels like one of those games, especially if they lose tonight to Michigan, where the desperation and the fact that it's a Sunday game – probably on national TV at home. That just feels like one of those Purdue games where they might trip you up. So for sure. It feels like going, it feels very similar to playing like a Saturday sleepy three o'clock game at the Cole center. Yeah. And you just go in and it's just frustrating. It pisses you off and you'd rather be watching the NFL playoffs, but you're stuck watching like a 45 to 42 basketball game. It (laughs) feels like it could be that. (laughs) Yeah. So Okay, so let's move on to Michigan. This loss was bad. It was a very bad time on Sunday. Or, yeah, Sunday. For those who follow me on Twitter, you'll know that I had a very, very bad time on Sunday with my two sports losses. Um, In the grand scheme of things, though, it's not that big of a deal. You were never expected to win at Breslin this year. I don't think, especially this early in the Big Ten play, Uh, especially without Isaiah Livers in the lineup, your leading scorer, uh, one of your better defenders. So it sucks, and it sucked to live through, but in the grand scheme of things, it's a record doesn't matter that you lost by 18. 
you lost, move on. So uh, the concerning thing here is they are now 0-3 in true road games. Uh, they have been played against very good teams. That should be pointed out. They've been played at Louisville, top five team, at Michigan State, who is a top five team, and at Illinois, who I think is a top 25-ish team. So they're all understandable losses on the road. I think this Minnesota game on Sunday is pretty big. Uh, but you need the three-point shooting, man. Like, in their three losses, I think they're shooting under 20%, I think, on three-point attempts in the three road games. And you just can't have that. And I think part of that is early misses affecting the psyche when you're on the road. And so you're, you're not taking the shots that you should be taking later in the game. You could see it. Brandon Johns missed a really good look from three. And how many times in that game did he pass up open looks from three just to get Michigan a worse shot in the possession? You need less hesitance. You need to just go for it and keep shooting until you make it, you know? And they they proved in the Bahamas and in their uh, December games that they're not a bad three-point three point shooting team. I really think they can shoot through it. Um, part of that is going to come with getting Isaiah Livers back. So when I said that 12-8 and eight is the goal, though, I do want to address this. 12-8 and eight is the goal in Big Ten play. That's assuming you get Livers back in the next two weeks because – he is such an important piece on this team for giving everybody else the space they need to play their game, like Eli Brooks and David DeJulius, and especially Xavier Simpson. Um, you need him back soon-ish. So, do you have any thoughts to contribute here on the Michigan side of things? Yeah, I mean, my thing is, I think it is, uh, three-point shooting is really concerning in the fact that if Isaiah Livers is out, I don't know, outside of Wagner, who can we count on to do a pretty consistent job at hitting that shot? Um, I think Brandon Johnson looks great, but that's clearly not a part of his game. Uh, Teske, I know, has the ability, but that shouldn't be a huge part of his game. That's just not the way that they've designed their offense to consistently have him out as like a pick and pop or anything like that. So... It feels concerning, and it really feels concerning this year because unlike the last few years, maybe, you can't rely on Charles Matthews and uh, some other people on defense to make it up. Uh, they're really struggling on defense. So if anything, they can maybe continue to struggle on this three-point shooting, but they need to get that defense stored up so that they can be in these games for longer to where the close shooting or just the minimal three-point makes that they have make the difference to win the game. Uh, but if they're going to run defense out like this, they're going to need to be hitting threes to stay into games. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and I, th I really do think the defense needs a fixing. And you know who should really be using this to their advantage is Charles Matthews should be pointing and being like, hey, look, that's – Juwan Howard's a good defensive coach. John Teske and Xavier Simpson seemed like all defensive Big Ten players last year. I'm the missing piece, and I genuinely think he might – we knew he was an awesome defender. He still might now be underrated as 
<laughs> as a defender. Um, just because yes, he was certainly a, he certainly was. I think everyone focused on other people on that roster without knowing that. At least from a non-Michigan, I think I'm sure Michigan fans knew, but non-Michigan fans did not talk enough about how damn good Charles Matthews was on defense. Yeah. So Michigan uh, has two games this week, and actually they're the same opponents, just reverse as Michigan State. Uh, so they get Purdue at home tonight at 7 o'clock on Fox Sports 1. Uh, I know the way people listen to podcasts, so that game might have already happened by the time you guys get to this. Uh, but the other game is at Minnesota on Sunday. And I think it's kind of funny how it sets up because as if Michigan and Michigan State fans didn't already need enough reason to root against one another in other games. Uh, the games tonight, I think, might actually be pretty important for both of the other schools because so much of Big Ten schedules is timing and when teams are desperate for a win and how that affects how they play. And uh, I think Michigan State fans could really use a Purdue win against Michigan tonight because you do not want them as desperate as they're going to be if they lose tonight on Sunday. And I think you have a similar thing with Michigan. Uh, Minnesota did get that big win in December, but I'm not sure if they have a big win since. And so if they get absolutely mollywopped against uh, – yeah, they lost to Purdue – Minnesota did in double overtime the other night. So if they go and get mollywopped against Michigan State, they're going to get a home game uh, against Michigan on Sunday, and they're going to be desperate to pick up another big win. So uh, I really do think this is really an interesting week for this for these two fan bases. Um, any other basketball thoughts is, before I talk GLI? No, I just wanted to give a shout-out, and it might be a decent transition. I want to give a shout-out for this, like, ECAC hockey scheduling that we got going on where <laughs> uh, we're just going to flip opponents between the four of us. Uh, so, apparently, this is just like we're playing uh, some East Coast hockey here, and we all live within 30 minutes of each other and can just <laughs> do a back-to-back against each other. Um, yeah, so I appreciate that. I didn't even notice until uh, after the game Sunday. I looked up the schedule, and I just go, oh, I guess – we in Michigan are just flipping some teams around, uh, which is a, a funny little quirk here at the Big Ten found. Yep. And uh, like we said, just keep eye on this Big Ten basketball schedule all all year. It's going to be absolutely crazy. And I can't wait. There's going to be so many fun endings. Um, even last night, we got a couple of fun ones because Northwestern kept it close with Indiana. And uh, – then Illinois got an, up, got an upset road victory over Wisconsin. Um, but let's get to some hockey, uh, some much-needed hockey. Uh, we talked about World Juniors before, so I guess I'd at least mention, if you weren't paying attention, a disappointing USA tournament uh, going out to Finland in the quarterfinals. Turns out that's less funny when it happens to the United States than it is when it happens to Canada. Um, Canada won gold, yada, 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 who cares? The GLI. Uh, for those who didn't know the results in the semifinals, Michigan beat Ferris State fairly easily. Michigan Tech gritted out a win over Michigan State. And then in the third place game, Michigan State disposed of Ferris State very easily. Ferris State isn't very good. Um, and Michigan Tech won their first championship since, I think, 2013 uh, when Mel Pearson was the coach, funny enough. They beat Michigan 4-2. to two, um, that fourth goal was an empty netter, uh, but it was a 
pretty fun tournament. Um, I wish they would have gotten a fourth competitive team. Uh, I guess we'll start with Michigan. The good news is uh, you competed with Michigan Tech the same way Michigan State did. Uh, those three teams kind of felt pretty equal coming in. Well, not coming in. They didn't feel equal coming in. Now it feels like they may be clo- all be closer than we thought. Uh, and also beating Ferris State like you were supposed to without York and Beecher feels pretty good. So I think it was a good weekend. You, you always want to win a trophy when you have an opportunity to. So I was pretty bummed they couldn't beat Tech, especially going into the third period with a 2-1 win or 2-1 lead. But uh, still an overall pretty good weekend for Michigan, I think, heading back into Big Ten play. Yeah, I think it was something that uh, gave them a lot of positives, but enough to work on uh, as they looked to, you know, move up the standings a little bit here and get back into uh, get back into play with two of their most important players coming back for sure. Yeah. So, like I said, we needed that win against Fair State. Like, absolutely needed it. If you lose that game. Some real bad feelings, probably, especially because you then probably have to go play Michigan State, uh, heading off of a loss to Ferris State, and then you, if you lose that, you're own three against them on the year. So you needed that win, um, and then the tech game uh, just felt like a missed opportunity. I don't know if you agree with me on that, but like without York and Beecher, you head into the third period with a two-one lead. They actually were just killing them with shots on goal. Uh, in the first half of the game, but credit to Michigan Tech. That's a good. That's a good hockey team, and they they fought their way back and uh, got a hat trick from one of their freshmen to win. Uh, and I believe his hat trick was all the first three goals. He didn't get the empty netter. So, um, just a it was a pretty good hockey game, but feels like a missed opportunity. But still a good confidence booster without York and Beecher heading into Big Ten play. Uh, this weekend you have to go to Notre Dame for a weekend series and honestly I think a split would be great if you can grab three of the points that still will have you feeling good about setting yourself up for that sixth spot in the league um and if you know any points would be good though as a positive as long as you don't get swept I think you're walking away fairly happy yeah and I think for Michigan like it would have been a nice win uh over a top 20 pairwise team but I think if you're looking long view at what's their chance of getting in an NCAA tournament, it's to get hot and win the Big Ten championship yeah. tournament title. Yeah. So for them, uh, you know, it's a good weekend to come out, feel set up for, you know, playing better in the league. But that's what, you know, their main goal now is to get some momentum. So it is unfortunate because you lose a little bit of momentum. It would have been nice to have a championship uh, coming home with two wins and, and you get two guys back into the roster and you say, okay, now let's ride. Uh, but I think they did enough in the two games to feel like, okay, we can compete, we can get on a roll here, and let's give ourselves the best matchup in the playoffs so that we can uh, make the run that we need to make to uh, to get into the tournament. Yeah, for sure, and I think that's still the goal. And, yeah, just to clarify, when I say missed opportunity, I just mean in terms of this season being memorable for fans and those players on that team. You know, winning a trophy does – make a difference in the end and uh it would have been a good experience for them but nevertheless they're still in a good spot compared to where they were going in uh probably a lot of the guys outside of those two players who were at the world juniors got some confidence going into the second half of the year 
or historically under Mel Pearson, they've been better. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes uh, in the coming weeks. For Michigan State, like I said, a was it a 4-2 loss against Michigan Tech as well, or was it closer? I uh, believe it was 4-2 with an empty net goal. Yeah, so, okay, so literally uh, yeah, the same four game. 4-2, but similar game, yeah. <laughs> um, and then disposed of whatever that Ferris State team is. Um, so Man, what, yeah, what are your really thoughts away from this? <laughs> I didn't get to watch a single Michigan State game because this stupid Fox Sports Detroit only aired the championship game. Yeah, so the Michigan Tech game was kind of weird. Uh, they were pretty sleepy, pretty – uh, they were outshot pretty handily first and second period, but actually came out of it with a 2-1 lead. Um, it was a weird game. Uh, first period, they score four minutes into the game on a power play goal, which felt like a huge lift. And uh, just, you know, Tech tied it. They get the lead again, and then Tech ties it early in the third period on a shorthanded goal uh, with just some sloppy play at the at the blue line for Michigan State. And then Michigan State controls the third period, uh, outshoots Tech for the first time all game, and Tech just gets a late goal to win it. <laughs> um, so it was just a really strange game where they felt lucky to be up two to one after two, and it felt kind of unlucky to lose the game when they lose it three to you know four to two. So this is an odd game. They they had a chance to to get to a matchup with Michigan and, and play for a championship, and they just couldn't close out the game. Uh, didn't didn't find a way to get a whole 60 minutes together. But uh, against Ferris State, despite – Ferris State's not very good, but they did something that, again, MSU teams have struggled in the past to do, which is if you're better than the other team, just make it blatantly obvious. And it was blatantly obvious that they were much better than Ferris. Uh, really never in doubt. Uh, it was 3 to nothing after the first period. They were all over the shots. They They just were such a better team. Uh, which was impressive because, you know, they were playing a game at 11 a.m. after having a game the day before. So uh, they they found a way to get back up for a game that you could sleepwalk through because it's a third-place game. They didn't do that. So uh, came out of the weekend pretty good, buoyed themselves. They're at 16 in the pairwise, which is right squarely on the tournament bubble just outside of it. Uh, so they still have uh, all their goals ahead of them. Uh, even though they did miss a chance to play for a championship uh, at the GLI. Yeah, and just for, you know, what it means, I do think the loss for Michigan Tech or against Michigan Tech is a little bit more of a bummer for MSU considering where they are in the pairwise. You're in the conversation for an at-large bit, and so a win like that would have really been nice. Um, but still, nonetheless, lots of good Big Ten opponents coming up to make a, make your mark against. So what what's January look like for MSU? They really have a chance to get themselves uh, in a solid position. You know, they're in second place in the Big Ten right now. They have a chance with the way the schedule sets up to get on a little bit of a run uh, to get the get a foothold on that spot. Um, they host Minnesota this weekend, who is 31st in the pairwise, uh, very much struggling this year, not. Uh, struggling as a young team, they have a ton of talent. Just they're a young team, uh, still only in the second year under a new coach, so a lot of changes going on in Minnesota. So, a chance to uh, you know, I I would put it as they got to get at least five points this weekend. I would love to see them get the full sweep, but um, you know, when you have them on your ice and you don't have to play on the humongous Mariucci ice, uh, they got to get more points than not. 
And then they go to Wisconsin next weekend. So a team that they've already swept at home, a team that is also just not a great team this year. Uh, they really need to, to get some wins because then they host Penn State uh, at home, though, and have a chance to, to utilize the home ice. So um, really, uh, I think January is a big month for them to separate themselves from, you know, to maybe stay with Penn State and Ohio State towards the top of the standings, but or rather, rather Penn State and Ohio State and Notre Dame towards the top of the standings, and then really separate from the Minnesota and Wisconsin and Michigan. Even though they don't play Michigan this month, uh, they can separate via beating Minnesota and Wisconsin from those other two teams. So uh, I think it's going to be an important month for them to not only maintain where they're at in the pairwise, but as far as setting up for that Big Ten tournament uh, where their seeding is going to be. Yeah, and I, honestly, and I know you got to go soon, so just a couple more things. Um, honestly, not just a Big Ten tournament seeding, but if you're looking at uh, potentially – uh, I'm trying to look and get the uh, standings up for the Big Ten, but um, I like the regular season title has got to be a, a thought on the mind here. You're only five points back with uh, two games in hand. So I literally the only team who has more points in Michigan State right now is Penn State, who has five points up, uh, but – they are the only team in the Big Ten who's played 12 games. Everybody else has played 10. Among teams that played 10, Michigan State's tied with Ohio State at 19. So uh, that regular season. Right, and they've already already had to play their road series at Pagula too. So that's where that home series at the end of January sets up really huge is uh, it's your last time playing Penn State, so your last time to take points off of them, and uh, and you don't have to worry about the return trip. So if they can get on a run head into that series, it could be – you know, for who knows, they could be playing for uh, a sweep and, and a lead in the league. So a uh, pretty big month for them, you know, and it's nice that after GOI had last weekend off, probably got a lot of practice time in to work on the special teams and work on some things uh, and really gear up for a, a pretty big six-game stretch here in the month of January. Yeah, and just a note as well, uh, they also have their series on the road at Ohio State out of the way. So Michigan State's actually in a pretty good position to potentially yeah. win the league. Uh, so that being said, it's a big month, but we got to go. Um, pretty fun show today, I'd say, outside of all the losing uh, for my teams. <laughs> but, you know, we will motor on. We will be back next week with some more talk. We'll recap all the basketball that happened, all the hockey that happened. Um, won't actually have any football things to talk about, which almost feels like a relief after the slog that is the college football season. Maybe we'll touch on the title game if we have time. Uh, actually, let's end, end it with that. Who's your, who's your pick? Uh, I have to put a vested interest in multiple places on LSU minus six, so I'm just going to ride with that. I, uh, I think it's a team that I, with my heart, want. And also, I think, uh, logically, I think we'll win the game. Yeah, man, I'm with you. Go Tigers!